the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 8. Nehemiah, chapter number 8, when you get there, if you don't mind, let's stand together, stretch your legs just a little bit. Nehemiah, chapter number 8. It's important we stand today, and I'll show you why here in just a few minutes. Nehemiah, chapter number 8. Glad to have one of our missionaries here today, Uncle Jerry Pertell. I see him back there uh, working the fair over here. If you get a chance, go to the fair. He has his video trailer set up there. Going to have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for a lot of people to come to know Christ this week uh, there at the fair. And uh, based on a a lot of the attendance, uh, a lot of those folks need Christ, right? Nehemiah, chapter number 8. Just kidding. I've been to them myself. Nehemiah chapter number 8, and this morning we're going to read a little bit more than we usually do uh, because we need the full context of the message, Uh, but I have something to be an encouragement to you, okay? I really do want to be a blessing to you today. I believe the message will be a blessing to you today. I believe it will encourage you if you'll receive it. Nehemiah chapter number 8, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Pick up in verse 1, the Bible says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate, Uh, not the one in Washington, okay? Don't get confused there. Uh, And they spake unto Ezra. Some of you folks are too young to realize what that was. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mathaniah and Shema if I mispronounce them don't call me out on it okay and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah and his right hand and on his left hand Pediah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and uh, there's one there that's pretty tough isn't it Hashbadana we'll call it that he probably got picked on growing up Zechariah and Meshulam verse number five and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and when he opened it all the people what stood up sounds familiar doesn't it Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, skip on down, if you would, to verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Last verse, verse 10, pay close attention. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, watch this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's stop there and pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you, Father, for your word, for it's quick, it's living, and it's powerful. I pray that, Father, we would allow you to do the work you desired in sending it to us today. Thank you for the message. I pray you'd give us liberty, boldness, and courage to say exactly what you'd have us to say. Help us receive it. Help us respond to it. If there's one lost today, Father, help them to see they can have an eternal home in heaven with you, Lord, by trusting Christ as their Savior before 
before it's too late, before it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Boy, we read a lot today, a lot more than we usually do. Uh, but this passage is a very, very beautiful passage of something that God prescribed for his people. Uh, this is the Feast of, tu- of Trumpets after the tabernacle was built. And once a year, God called this special day for his people to come. It was a day of remembrance and a day of repentance. It was a day where God's people came before him to remember his goodness, to repent of their wickedness, and to make sacrifice. Now, we could go into a lot of detail about that, but I need to keep you on track this morning in order to get you out by 1230, okay? Now, also we see, I was just just kidding. In chapter number eight, a foreshadowing. Some of your faces just hit the floor, all right? Don't quench the spirit that way. We see a foreshadowing of the second coming of Christ, all right? We see the Feast of Trumpets. We know how God always gives us a foreshadowing of what he's going to do. And we know that one day the trump of God's going to sound, I believe, very, very soon, and we're all going to be out of here. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't always looked forward to it because I like living and I like this life. But the worse thing gets around us, the more I'm ready to get out of here, okay? Now, here's what's interesting, just to, uh, to, to prick your conscience just a little bit. They would usually celebrate this in the month of September and October. Just going to throw that out there. What month is it? I can't remember. I think it's September. Just throwing that out there uh, if the Lord were to keep a pattern going here. But aside from the historical and the prophetic, I want you to see something very, very special here. When we look at Nehemiah chapter 8, we see a beautiful model of a worship service, all right? We get a little bit of a picture of what a worship service is to be alike. Now, I don't know about you, but if you look around at most churches today or different churches, there's a lot of misconceptions on exactly what worship is. All right, uh, we've allowed what is known as culture creep to creep into the church, and our culture has affected our worship today. It literally has. We've gotten to the place now where we have these emotionally charged events that stir up our emotions, and we think that is the spirit of God moving. But I'm much like my wife's music box, when the music stops, the dancing stops. Right. Why? It was an emotionally charged event, and we thought it was of the spirit, but it was not the capital spirit S, it was the lowercase spirit S. Sometimes we call worship these entertainments uh, that amuse us. Now listen, I like good entertainment, and I like being amused, but this is not what a worship service is to be. Now watch closely with me, starting in verse number one. We see the people gathering together. I think that's important in worship, isn't it? We need to gather together. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Look at verse number two. And Ezra brought forth what? The law. Here we have the word of God. Verse number three. Notice what the people are doing at the end of verse number three. This is what we should be doing today, okay? The Bible says they were attentive. All right, so first they show up, and then they break out the word of God. And now in verse number three, the people are being attentive. Verse number four, look, we have a preacher And then we have a pulpit. I mean, you just see the church service unfolding here. Verse number five, what's happening? The Bible says, when he opened the book, the people stood up. We see a reverence for the word of God. That's why we stand when we read the word of God. Verse number six, keep reading. We're going somewhere with this. The Bible says that Ezra blessed the Lord. We see praise here. And then we see prayer in verse number six. Look down to verse number seven. I love this. He gives this list of people who stood in their place, and what they did in verse number eight was, the Bible says, they caused to understand the reading. 
So the way the Lord mapped this out, there were people out there amongst the audience that were helping the people understand. I kind of see that like Sunday school, you know. They have little small groups of people. They're helping them understand. Now, don't go home and say, I said this is where Sunday school came from, all right? I just kind of see a picture of that in my head. One day when you get an imagination, you might see it that way as well. Verse number 8, the Bible says, They saw that when they read the book in the law of God distinctly and gave them sense. So the people are paying attention to what's going on. And we read down the people begin to mourn. When the word of God was read, just the sheer power of the word of God brought the people under great conviction. I think that's an essential part of worship, don't you? That when the word of God is read and the word of God is preached, here's what happens. God's word's like a mirror. And God's word shows us for who we really are. And the people of God have reached a place. What has just happened? They've rebuilded the walls that were destroyed by their sin. And they've rebuilt those walls that are there, and they've broken out the Word of God. And as the Word of God is being preached, they see themselves for as they really are, and they begin to grieve, and they begin to mourn. Folks, that's what God desires in every worship service. That the Word of God shows us for who we really are, and we don't fight against God, and we don't resist God. We accept the truth of God's Word, and that's when we begin to have revival in our life. Now, notice what's happening. Here they are gathered for this great feast of trumpets, but the people, the Bible says, are grieving. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, He tells them to mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Do you know why they're mourning? Because they've been confronted by their sin condition and who they are and how much they're coming short of what thus saith the Lord. And they're grieving over the weight of the sin that they now know that they carry. By the way, could I tell you, sin is a, a weight that none of us can carry. You might be able to drag it along for a little while, but you can't carry it for long. I promise you can't carry it throughout eternity. It's going to weight you down and condemn you to hell. That's the word of God. Now, look, I'm telling you the truth this morning. I'm trying to hold up the mirror so we'll see ourselves. That's why Genesis 4.13, Cain says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Sin brings remorse, or it should, and it brings grief, and we are mourning. Now, notice what he tells them in verse 9. He said, This is holy unto the Lord. This day is holy unto the Lord. Now, he's telling them, look, this is not a time for grief. This is a holy day unto the Lord. Now, understand this. He's not telling them to repent, not to repent of their sin, all right? If the Holy Spirit of God points out sin in your life today, if the mirror of the Word of God shows you that you're not right with God and that you're coming short, listen, God wants us to mourn and to grieve over that, all right? And to repent, why? That we can find mercy. That's what he desires for us. God shows us our sins so we can get rid of it and find that mercy and move on with the blessings of God in our life. He's not telling them not to repent. Here's what he's saying. He says, I don't want you to live in the grief of it. He's not telling them not to repent of it. He said, this is a holy day and not to live in the grief of our sin. Now, understand, here's the truth. You could live in the grief of your sin the rest of your life. I've sinned enough. You've sinned enough. We hung Christ on the cross with our sin. Listen, we've all sinned enough to live within the grief of our sin the rest of our days. But watch this. It's not the will of God that we live in the grief of our sin. It's the will of God that we live in his grace. He says, I don't want you to live in the grief of this. Listen, the weight of it will crush you. And instead of living in the grief, his desire is we live within his grace. 
Now, how do we do that? Look at verse 10. I love this verse. The Holy Spirit has been whispering the last part of verse number 10 in my heart for about a year and a half now. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. I know your grief is great. I mean, these people recognized it was their sin that destroyed their city. It was their sin that did that. And now they're being confronted with it. And the weight of sin is heavy. But Nehemiah says this, there's a grace that is greater than your grief. There's a grace that's greater, and it comes from the joy of the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, if you're lost, listen, sin is grievous to you. And sin will grieve you now. And sin will grieve you for all eternity if you don't accept Christ as your Savior. It's a load that you can't bear. But can I tell you, there's a grace greater than your grief. And you find it through the joy of the Lord by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You can have a grace that's greater than your grief, but it comes from the joy of the Lord that you only get through Christ Jesus. You can have that. Why? Because that sin load is going to grieve you all through eternity without Christ. But here this morning, I really do want to focus on the save for a little while, if we could. I don't know if you are living in the same world I'm living in. But I believe this morning we're living in the grief of our sin. Now you think about that. I don't know about you, but the world I've been living in for 18 months... You say, after we got that new pastor, all this started to happen. You voted me in. You're getting what you asked for. Now, look, that happened after I got here. I was here about six months, all right? So I didn't bring it with me. It, it followed me here. I don't know about you. I've been living in a world of grief everywhere. Last night, I was driving back from Arkansas and pulled out my cell phone to see what the score was. And every time I opened it, it just was more grievous. I said, par for the course of 2021, LSU starts the year off with a loss. And I want you to know the grief of the load of sin that we're living in, it's heavy, isn't it? I get a picture of Christians today in verse number 9. The weight of all of this is grieving us. But you know, that's not the will of God, that we just live in this grief God wants us to find how we're going to hold up through all of this, and we're going to do it the same way in verse number 10 that he told them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, how do we deal with the load of the grief we're living in? Economic grief, political grief. I mean, it's grief on every side. How do we hold up and not live in a constant state of mourning? Well, the answer is verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This morning, the message is very, very simple. God wants us to find strength in our struggle. God wants us to have some strength this morning to get through the struggle of the weight of the grief that we're living in. Why? Because his people need to be people that reflect the strength of their father. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Listen, we should be reflecting power and strength this morning, but we're only going to find that through the joy of the Lord. Look, I believe the Lord's taking away so many things in our life that produced artificial joy. He's going to take away our money. He's going to take away our possessions. He's going to take away our pastime. Anything that you look to 
for false joy this morning, he's going to pull it out. Why? He's going to get us to the place finally to realize that only the joy of the Lord will give you strength. Now, folks, listen. There's not a whole lot more he can take away. But I assure you, he'll take it away if he has to for us to realize the only strength we're going to have for this struggle is for the joy of the Lord. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to show you how to have it. And I'm going to show you what it will do for you this morning. So let's look at this subject real quickly. The strength for our struggle. Now look down, if you will, verse 10 again. The Bible says, neither be ye sorry. He's not telling them not to repent. He says, listen, don't be crushed by the weight of this grief, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a very important three words I need you to see there. The joy, here it goes, of the Lord. Now, here's what Nehemiah is telling them. Nehemiah is telling them the strength you need to deal with the grief you're bearing is only going to come of the Lord. That means if you want a joy that gives you strength to get through the struggle, you've got to know where you're going to get it from. May I ask you, some of you folks who eat fast food a quick question. If I want a Big Mac, where am I going? Come on. Some of you people acting like you're all vegan and all of that. I know you're not. Listen, folks, I mean, it's obvious some of us eat fast food and too much of it. If I want a Big Mac, where am I going? I'm going to McDonald's, all right? I know some of you folks have never eaten a carrot stick in your life, and you're sitting there looking at me, what is a Big Mac? Quit lying in church. Your face is lying. I can tell it all over you. If I want a Big Mac, I'm going to go to McDonald's. If you've never had one, I encourage you, before the Trump sounds, go get you one. That's an all-American classic. But if you're like my dad... Look, my wife was joking the other day. She said, if you ever go on a trip with Brother Jack, you're going to eat at two places, Burger King and Cracker Barrel. That's my, my dad's favorite places to eat. If I want a Whopper, where am I going? I, evidently, we have a lot of Burger King, or at least some of you just got right with God and you're willing to be honest, all right? You want a Whopper, you're going to go to Burger King, okay? That's where you get those. Now, watch this. Let's put the dots together. If you want the joy of the Lord, where are you going to get it from? You're going to have to go, you're going to have to get it from the Lord. Now, here's what you need to understand. It can't do you much good if you don't know where to find it. You've got to know where to get it. So number one, watch this. The joy of the Lord is found in the presence of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is found in the presence of the Lord. Now, it's important to recognize this. Whether or not you realize it, this has happened to all of us at least once in the last 18 months, I'm sure. Circumstances will rob you of your joy. Have you noticed that? circumstances will rob you of your joy. Have you ever woke up and you just feel like it's going to be a good day? I mean, you woke up and your wife or your husband was standing there on the edge of the bed and they've got you a, a, a plate and they've got French toast. My, one of my favorite is crepes. I love crepes, those thin, weird pancakes. Man, those are good. And they're standing there with coffee and you're like, yep, it's going to be a good day. Going to be a good day. You get out of bed and you're walking in the living room. Uh, look, and everybody's already ready to get in the car and to go to work. Kids are dressed for school. Matter of fact, you walk in the living room and your kids are knelt down on the couch and they're having their private devotions and you're thinking, this is going to be a good day. Going to be a good day. You go to the gas station, you buy a scratch off. All right, just checking, just checking. All right, let's just say, you know, you know the old twist of peppers, you, you, you take the lid off of Dr. Pepper and you open it up and you want a 20 ounce and you're thinking, it's going to be a good day. And the next thing you know, you get a phone call. One of your coworkers didn't show up. You're going to have to pull a second shift. You get a phone call from the doctor, and the doctor says, look, we found something on that biopsy. I need you to come in. 
Or maybe you get to work and all of a sudden, man, you live, you're working around ungodly people and it just weighs on you. And after a while, that good day has gone out the window. Why? Circumstances will rob you of your joy. The other day I got up to go uh, to come up to the office and uh, all of a sudden as I was walking out the door having a great day, I was reminded of a horrific fact that I had a dentist appointment Friday. So I go to the dentist and I, I sit down in the chair and I say, Dr. Tolbert, uh, what's on the schedule for today? I'm always having dental work done. And uh, he says, um, uh, I said, that filling, we're going to get that filling today? He says, nope. He says, five crowns. This is exactly what I told Dr. Tolbert. Dr. Tolbert, I don't know that I'm mentally prepared for that. I was preparing for one filling. I meant enough to handle that, but he had to do five crowns trying to, I don't have any enamel on my teeth and I have to crown them all the time. Five, man, all of a sudden, my good day went out the window and I became a scared little puppy sitting in that chair. My wife, who volunteered to go with me, I told her I was man enough to go by myself. I was man enough for one filling. I wasn't man enough for five crowns and I'm sitting there trying to act like a man, but I really wanted my wife there to hold my hand. My joy was gone. Why? Circumstances will rob you of your joy. Look, the circumstances of the last 18 months have been grievous, haven't they? Listen, living in the effects of our sin is weighing down on us. And you look at Christians all over the country, our joy is gone. We've allowed the circumstances to take. Look, you look on social media and you see Christians. Listen, we're not people that are exhibiting the power of God. We're not people that are exhibiting the joy of the Lord. Why? Because we, just like everybody else, have allowed the circumstances of life to rob us of our joy. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me, unfortunately, of those 10 spies that came back with a report of the promised land. Remember those guys? The 12 go in, 12 guys go in there, and they come back, and they're all excited. Here's the fruit of it. I mean, grapes, and man, it's milk and honey, just like God said. By the way, it's always going to be just like God said. And then all of a sudden, here's what the 10 say in Numbers 13, 31. But the men that went up with him says, we be not able... To go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched and the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Sounds like America 2021. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Now listen to the last line. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. So watch this. How, how were they when they came out of Egypt? The Bible says they went out with a high hand. They were excited. We're going to go. We're going to possess this land. And all of a sudden, they run up in that promised land, and there's giants there. This is a land that eats up the people that come therein. And what do they say? We be not able to go up against the people. The joy they had coming out of Egypt, all of a sudden, listen, the air was sucked out of the room when the circumstances of life robbed them of their joy. Now, folks, can I tell you something this morning? Beware of allowing the circumstances of this life to rob you of your joy. Why? Because verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If he can rob you of your joy, he can rob you of your strength. And the only way to find the joy of the Lord is in the presence of the Lord. What did Joshua and Caleb say? They said, hey, let's go take it. We got this, guys. What are y'all worried about? I mean, good grief. Hasn't God done great things for us now? That's the Jeremiah Andrews version, okay? He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's the spirit of what they were saying. They said, guys, we got this. 
Hey, what you guys worried about? God's going to get us through this. Can I ask you something? Who do you think the ten or the two spent time in the presence of the Lord? It wasn't the ten. I'll guarantee you Joshua and Caleb had spent time on their knees, time in the presence of God. And you spend time in the presence of God. All of a sudden you find the joy of the Lord. And all of a sudden you've got strength and you're ready to take this world too. There's no reason for us this morning to act like, listen, we're just a whipped little puppy over in the corner. No, listen, my God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power. Hey, why are we acting like the people who haven't spent time in his presence? Because we are the people who haven't spent time in his presence. Do you know what you spend time in the presence of will be reflected in how you live your life? You'll never convince me Joshua and Caleb didn't spend time in the presence of the Lord. Why? They're always, let's go. We got this, you know? I mean, I kind of, brother, brother AJ's back of the bus, isn't he? It kind of reminds me of Brother AJ. Brother AJ's just caffeinated. He's just, he's just always, let's go, let's go, let's go. That's him. It doesn't matter what it is, let's go. Look, folks, you could have that same kind of joy. You could have that same kind of boldness, but you're only going to find it of the Lord. You've got to go there to get it. The reason this morning we're down and out is because our joy was in our money, and it's gone. Our joy was in our job, and it's gone. Our joy was in our health. Oftentimes, it's gone. Our joy was in the guy in the White House, and it's gone. And all of a sudden, all of those things that brought us joy are gone, and now we're scared to death. Now we have no boldness or courage in our life. Why? Because we hadn't been spending time in the presence of the Lord. I'll tell you what we have been spending time in the presence of. CNN and Fox News and Facebook. You can tell it. You can tell it. Why? Because we don't have no joy. We're just a bunch of grumpy, listen, grumpy people who say they're saved. That's all we are. Why? We're spending time in, in the news. We're reading about all the circumstances. And all of a sudden, our, fr- our, our smile gets turned upside down. And we got this frown on our face. Why? Because of what we're spending time in the presence of. You want the joy of the Lord. It's going to come from the Lord. You've got to spend some time with him. Now, you think about this. It's hard not to think about Job in these days we're living in. Wave after wave after wave of discouragement. I mean, just one after another. And yet we see Job Job saying what? I read it to you on Wednesday night. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Doesn't sound like somebody that's grumpy to me. Doesn't sound like somebody who's just being ornery to me. No, it sounds like somebody who has some joy stowed away somewhere. What does Job 1.5 say? Listen close. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, praying for his children, and rose up early in the morning. What is he doing early in the morning? Having his coffee? Well, he may have had coffee. I don't know if they had it back then, but, you know, you can have coffee and spend time with the Lord. He rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Now listen to the last four words of verse 5 in Job 1. Thus did Job continually. How was Job able to hold on and have strength? When he's get, listen, he's getting everything beat out of him. Yeah, look, he lost his family, he lost his money, he lost his friends, he lost just about everything, but the devil couldn't beat the joy out of him. Why? Because Job had been spending time in the presence of God. Now, how does this work? This is wonderful. When you're in the presence of God, listen, you're always in the presence of something greater and someone greater. When you go into the presence of God, you're in the presence of the one who's greater than any other presence you'll ever be in. Listen, that's why you have strength. 
That's why you have joy. Listen, you spend time in the presence of God, the things of earth grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, a pandemic gets kind of small. Why? Because you're in the presence of God. You spend time with him. You'll Listen, you'll have no, listen, no problem as Job did going against whatever comes your way because you spent time in the presence of the Lord. That's why David says in Psalms 42, you ought to read Psalms 42 in the day we're living in. Verse 11, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Question mark. And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. David says, listen, I'm hoping in God. He's the health of my countenance. And I want you to know, our countenances aren't very healthy lately. Do you know, I don't know if you do this, okay? I told my daughter this yesterday. Uh, anybody use emojis? Do you ever use an emoji on your phone? Come on, you people that didn't eat Burger King, you don't use emojis either, do you? All right, you know the emojis are those smiley faces? I have a horrible habit. I never realized this until the other day. When I'm trying to pick the perfect emoji, I start making the face. One day, somebody's going to catch me on video sitting at a red light, sitting an emoji. I never realized I did that. You know, because I'm wanting to describe, you know, I want to describe exactly how I'm feeling. Do you know it's a lot that way with, with what you're in the presence of? You spend more time in the presence of your problems. No wonder, look, your face looks like a problem. It's the health of your countenance. David says, why should I be sad? Why should I be worried? Why should I be cast down? Listen, I'm hoping in God. He's the health of my countenance. You know what? He's still there. He's doing fine. And as long as God's doing fine, you ought to be doing fine too. But watch, you'll never know that if you don't spend some time in his presence. Just get along with God a little bit, folks. Look, I described yesterday my wife. I said, you know, ministry, my entire 26 years of being in the ministry, oftentimes feels like a boxing match. The devil just tape up your ribs. Think you're called to ministry? You better tape up your ribs. Nonstop, the devil coming after you, one thing after another, one thing after another. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, I fight not as one that beats the air. Paul said, this is a fight that we're in. And oftentimes, ministry is just like that. And after a while, you spend too much time in the ring, you start getting wobbly, don't you? You start getting, have you felt punch drunk the last 18 months? Come on, folks. Man, you're not very helpful today, all right? All right? At least, look, if you hadn't been punch drunk, pretend and you say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, amen. It makes me feel like I'm getting the point across. And I don't have to grill my wife on the way home today. Did I get the point across? They didn't look like I got the point across. You ever feel spiritually punch drunk? You're in the ring, and after a while, you start getting wobbly. It's amazing. All of a sudden, the bell dings. They do that on purpose. Go get in the corner. Go spend some time with the manager. And all of a sudden, that manager, boy, he's, he's dotting the sweat off of your eye. He's gluing your eyelid back together. He's giving you some water. He's encouraging. Look, he's getting shaky. I saw on that last foot, he's starting to get rocky. You got this. And all of a sudden, you get back up on your feet. You go out there, and you pull a haymaker out, and you knock him down. What happened? You spent some time with the one who gave you what you needed to get back out there on your feet. But our problem is, all of a sudden, life gets tough, and we just sit down, and let me just turn on the news. Are you serious? Let me see on Facebook what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is having the same trouble you're having. The only one who's not having the trouble is God. You ought to go get in the corner with him. Spend some time with your manager. Spend some time in the presence of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord will become your strength. Quickly, think about Judas. He thought the money would do it, didn't he? 
I left my, I lost my wallet. Brother Nate, did you take my wallet? I guess I put it in my office. Old Judas thought that money would do it, didn't he? Man, this is going to bring me joy. This is going to do it for me. I got the money. He traded Christ for the money. Literally. What did he do right before he killed himself? He went and he threw it back. He said, this don't work for me. This does nothing for me. He realized he had traded the one thing that could have brought him joy, which was Jesus Christ. Money's not going to do it for you. Think about David. David thought pleasure would bring him joy. Went and stole another man's wife. And finally, in Psalms 51, David is being crushed under the weight of his sin. He's grieving. He can't carry it. And what did David say? Listen to this. Psalms 51, 12. Restore unto me the joy. Restore unto me the joy. David says, I thought she would bring me joy and that would bring me joy. And you're chasing the pleasures of this life. They won't do it for you. Only the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when we go and purposely, presumptuously sin, sin takes us out of the presence of God. You know what happened to Adam and Eve? They sin and they're no longer in the presence of God. You get out of the presence of God. Watch this. No longer do you have the joy of the Lord. No longer do you have strength. And the weight of your grief is going to crush you. David says, my sins are over my head. That's why Christ said in John 15. He said, if you shall keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Abide means to stay with as the vine and the branch is the analogy that he's giving. But listen, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. He says, stay in my presence. Listen, the branch has got to stay with the vine in order that the joy might remain and the joy would be full. But sin takes us out of the presence of God. We lose the joy of the Lord. We lose our strength. And that's why we're getting crushed. Because we're spending time in the presence of everything else rather than the presence of the Lord. And that's why this morning, that's why this morning we as God's people if you want to get your joy back, you're going to have to spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Number two, we've got to hurry, all right? 1230 is going to be here before you know it. Number two, look down. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, you'll only find that in his presence. Watch the result of it in verse 11. So the Levites stilled the people. The joy of the Lord, all of a sudden, it stills them. The Bible says, saying, hold your what? Peace. Now, this is what's beautiful. We come into the presence of the Lord, we find joy. But watch what that joy produces. Number two, the joy of the Lord brings us the peace of the Lord. The joy of the Lord will bring us the peace of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this today. Imagine being surrounded by great grief. All right? All I ask you to do is just imagine the year 2021. We are surrounded by great grief. It is everywhere, and it's weighing on us that rather than become a people of power, we become people of grief. But watch this. Imagine being surrounded by great grief and then coming into the presence of a greater God. Can I tell you what the resulting emotion would be? Peace. Peace. We're surrounded by great grief, and then you come into the presence of God, and all of a sudden you realize that the God of grace is greater than your grief. 
And the next thing you know, you have peace in your life. Beautiful picture of that is David. All throughout the life of David, we see this. Psalms 23, for the sake of time, I'll not turn there, but you know the scriptures well. Think about what David said in verse number four. Yea, though I have walked through what? Good times, happy days, walking on sunshine, everything's going great, right? No. Yea, though I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. It almost sounds like David's surrounded by something great. The valley of the shadow of death. I pulled up a picture of one in the Holy Land. It's amazing. Possibly one of the ones that David walked through. He says, I will fear no evil. Do you know what that is? That's peace. That's peace. How do you have peace when you're walking through a valley of the shadow of death? You're surrounded by grief. How do you have peace walking through that? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. Verse 4, for thou art with me. David says, I'm in his presence, therefore I have his peace. And therefore, nothing around me can rob me of that because I know whom I have believed. He says, I'm in the presence of him who gives greater peace than the great grief that surrounds us. Go on in his life real real quickly this morning. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, as David goes to face Goliath, could we agree this morning? He's in the presence of great grief. (laughs) A 90-and-a-half-foot giant, that's great grief. Or at the very least, he's fixing to cause you great grief. All right? I don't care how scrappy you are. 90-and-a-half feet, some of you in trouble. Most of you in trouble. All right? Some of you might gnaw on his knees like a chihuahua as long as you can. But after a while, he's going to grieve you. Look, Goliath wasn't carrying a spear and a sword just for a photo op. He was there to grieve David. He was there to cause trouble in his life. He was there to wreck and to ruin and destroy his life. And yet David goes down there. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. No. What did he say? The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Chapter 40, uh, verse 45. The Bible says, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver me into thine hand. Watch. David couldn't see him, but he knew the Lord was there. I don't know where he's at, but I know he's here. And I know he's about to whoop up on you. Now watch, how can somebody have peace in the face of a Goliath? Look, if you'll get this this morning, all of a sudden you'll have a boldness to go to work tomorrow and take a stand for Christ. If we'll get this today, listen, our young people will be able to go up against peers, listen, who are so indoctrinated in this world's culture and take a holy stand for Christ. If you just understood that spending time in the presence of God gives you the peace of God to do the will of God. David wasn't scared. He looked up at Goliath. Goliath's meant to cause him grief. And he says, the Lord's going to deliver you into my hands. As a matter of fact, David says, I'm going to cut your head off. Wouldn't it be wonderful you, you could look at your trouble and say that? Not people, okay? We're not one of them cults. I got to say those disclaimers now. I don't want to go to jail, all right? I want a prison ministry, but not that way. To look at your problem and say, you're going down today. Because I've spent presence in a greater God. And yes, you are great grief. And yes, you cause me trouble. And yes, you cause me trial. But my God is greater. And all of a sudden, you have peace to do the will of God in your life. You ought to read Psalms 100 sometimes. I'm going to read it for you. Turn there with me. Let's, let's look at it together. Psalms 100. Psalms 100. I want you to read a very, very sad psalm, okay? This one's going to break your heart. 
and make you cry. It's like a Hallmark chapter. It's that time of year, isn't it? Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his what? Presence with singing. Do you know why some of us this morning haven't been making a joyful noise? We've been doing more complaining than we have making a joyful noise. Do you know why so many of us this morning have lost our gladness? We've lost our song because we haven't been in his presence lately. Look, this morning, if you could make a reservation to go into the presence of Almighty God in heaven, you would come back tomorrow with such joy, such strength, such power, such peace. Why? Because all of a sudden, from his point of view, what's going on down here doesn't seem like that big a deal. Seems kind of small. The Bible says, enter into his, his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Folks, that's what a Christian's countenance ought to be right now. But the only way you'll have that joy and that gladness and that thanksgiving is to spend time in the presence of God. So number two, the joy of the Lord brings us the peace of the Lord. Just ask Daniel. Just ask the three Hebrew boys. How did they have peace when they were surrounded by lions in a fiery furnace? They knew he was with them. They knew he was with them. You could probably walk around in the midst of fire if you just realized how real and how great your God was. He's going to walk around there with you. I'd like to think I'd jump off a cliff if God would hold my hand. I'd be scared because I'm kind of scared of heights, you know. I'm not a chicken, but we get up there on a mountain. Don't be pushing on me. I told the kids in Montana this year, don't, oh, don't be doing all that. All right? I'm just, as older I get, the more prudent I get. Okay? You call it scared, I call it prudent. I'd like to think I could jump off the edge of a cliff if God says, I'll hold your hand. And now yet, as Matthew 28 says, lo, he's going to be with us what? Always. I've told you so many times the story of David Livingston. How he walked across Africa and all the things, being mauled by a lion and the sickness and the loss of family. How did he just stay there and do the will of God? He knew who was with him. You spend time in his presence, you're going to have his peace. And then finally, the Bible says, verse 11, they stilled the people. People had peace. Watch what they did in verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. <clears throat> because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. So what was God's will? God's will is that they recognize this Feast of Trumpets. God said, that's what this day is about. It's about remembrance. This day is about repentance and sacrifice. This is not a day of mourning. Do not be crushed by your grief. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. It gives you peace. But then watch what they did. Watch what they did. No longer are they in grief. They go on about their business. They go on about their business. Now, this is good this morning. Number three, the joy of the Lord gives the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord. You know, God didn't want what was grieving them to keep them from moving forward with his will. God says, don't let that grief hold you back. God says, listen, I want you to move forward. This is a day, this is a holy day. It's my will that you move forward with what I've outlined for you. And the way you're going to do that is the joy of the Lord that comes from the presence of the Lord that gives you the peace of the Lord. And when you have peace, you move on with the power of the Lord in your life. Now, folks, this is important. 
2021 has been grievous, just grievous. I think all of us would agree grief is debilitating. I know people that I love dearly who have lost a loved one, a spouse. Known people who've gone through great tragedy in their life and they are grieving and grieving and grieving and that grief is debilitating. It's taken away their joy and they can't move on. But when you spend time in the presence of God, you find the peace of God that gives you the power of God to move on with what God's called you to do. Folks, the clock's ticking on this year. I mean, look, I'm even trying to decide if I should buy Christmas presents earlier or one if I should spend the money now because I think the Lord's going to come back before December. I've never had that problem before. You know, do I wait to the last minute? You know, Amazon, sometimes they're late, two-day delivery and all that. I mean, look, the clock's ticking. We've got a job to do. Just as the Feast of Trumpets was outlined for the people of God, he says, listen, you've got to move on and do what I've called you to do because, listen, one day the trump is going to sound. And God's given us his will. God's outlined what he wants us to do. And the only way you can move forward in the midst of grief is spend time in his presence, get you a load of peace, and move forward in the power of God. Without that, you can't. You can't. I've tried cheering myself up. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I've tried to encourage myself in myself, and myself is not a good encourager. You know? After a while, not even Disney World can make you smile. And you find, in the end, only the joy of the Lord is your strength. I told my wife so many times in the last 18 months, I said, you know, you don't realize things you depend on for joy other than God until they're taken away. And all of a sudden, God just keeps pulling them out, pulling them out, pulling them out, and you fall, 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 and you hit the bottom, and you find at the very end, the joy of the Lord alone was enough. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's what we've got to understand, and we'll close. He, we've got to understand that the greatness of our grief will never overshadow the greatness of our God. Boy, we're going through some grief. Just one day after another, grief, 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 and it's weighing down on us. You're like, I don't think I can handle this. You can't. But if you'll go in the presence of the Lord, you'll find the joy of the Lord is your strength. Folks, this morning... If we don't get to the place where we run back to the presence of God quick, the weight of our grief is going to crush us, debilitate us, and keep us from doing the will of God. The sad thing is the Lord was standing there ready and willing to give us what we needed to accomplish what he's called us to. But understand this, it's of the Lord. The joy of the Lord you're not going to find it anywhere else. And this morning, you could have that. Number one, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, look, it's of the Lord. You've got to go to him to get it. The good news is you go to him to get it. Look, he's freely and willingly going to give it. It's a free gift. And you can, listen, go into the very presence of God and have the joy. It could be yours. And if you're saved this morning, look, why are we walking around like we lost? Yeah, you may be on the losing team, but you're not on the losing side. You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to go to the corner, spend some time with our eternal manager, and let him give us what we need to move on with what he's called us to do today. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Heads are bowed. Let's stand to our feet this morning.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder this morning.